G'day, Annie McLaughlin here for this week's edition of Stick Together, the only national program focusing on union news, worker stories and social justice issues. This program is produced in Melbourne for 3CR and the Community Radio Network with the support of the Community Radio Foundation on the stolen lands of the Kulin Nation and we pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. To celebrate International Working Women's Day, we look at how some women fought and won the right to work in non-traditional trades. We go to the Australian book launch of High Voltage Women in 2019 at the Melbourne offices of the Electrical Trades Union run by Radical Women and the ETU's Women's Committee. We hear about a monolithic seven-and-a-half-year battle to break barriers at Seattle city limits in America to cement the right for women to work and train as electricians and linespeople. We also hear how their fight sends ripples across the lives of working women across the world. Um, Welcome to the ECU. Uh, My name's Rachel and I've been a sparky in the industry for about 12 years. Uh, And also I've been a member of the the Women's Committee with the ETU. Uh, The Women's Committee was really excited uh, when we were approached to participate in the Uh, High Voltage Women book launch. Uh, Coming from a very similar industry, it was eye-opening and interesting to read what the female pioneers of this uh, industry went through back in the day. Uh, It's crazy to see that women from a completely different country, time period and time period, uh, were encountering similar situations uh, to what we still find today on site in Australia, in Melbourne. The book was a great overview into what was a significant political battle to get women and minority people into the trades, no matter who they were, where they came from, or what their situation was. And it's what we're striving for today as well. And uh, let's continue this forward progress and get more people into the trade and give equal opportunity to all. Well, I'm, I'm Debbie Brennan. I'm representing Radical Women. High Voltage Women recounts an historic battle of affirmative action at Seattle City Light, which is a public utility and one of Seattle's biggest employers. Affirmative action was a demand coming out of the 1960s civil rights movement designed to redress historical discrimination. It's not reverse discrimination, as its opponents claim, It's based on opening up places to applicants who are equally qualified but shut out by discrimination. In the early 1970s, Seattle City Light Management was all white and male, as was its workforce, except for a few men of color who had been recently hired. The federal government mandated City Light to introduce affirmative action as a prerequisite to getting funding for its infrastructure projects. So the company hired Clara Fraser, well known as a community organizer, to design and run a training program for women. The 10 women selected from 300 applicants became the pioneering electrical trades trainees, or ETTs. They were a diverse group multiracial, some were openly lesbian, some single mothers, and some were movement activists. Three were members of Radical Women and the Freedom Socialist Party. (coughs) Clara herself 
was a socialist feminist leader and veteran of McCarthyism, and she helped found Radical Women and the Freedom Socialist Party. Now, City Light Management was ambivalent about the program from the start. They wanted something tame so it could just tick the boxes for the federal funding. It did not want a bunch of uppity women upsetting the exclusive macho apple cart and resorted to every trick in the book to make the program fail. In this climate, most of the workers saw the women as intruders and made them very unwelcome. The environment was intensely toxic and dangerous. Within a year, management sacked Clara, cut the program, and fired the trainees. It took years of unrelenting organizing to win back the program and the positions. And the book shows you how they did it. So High Voltage Women is a celebration of a battle that transformed a segregated workforce, of the women who led it, multiracial women, who waged a fight against the boss with sexism, racism, and homophobia at its heart, of solidarity for men at work, mainly men of color, feminists, unionists, and the broader community, and of the sheer tenacity of their organizing, which ended in a stunning victory. So I'm going to call up Alison Thorne. Alison um, founded the Freedom Socialist Party in Australia, and she is a workplace delegate for the Community and Public Sector Union. I joined the Freedom Socialist Party in December 1982, and this was just one month after Clara Fraser returned to work as the Training and Education Coordinator at Seattle City Light after an absolutely epic seven-and-a-half-year battle. This win was the talk of the town in Seattle, and visiting that beautiful city, I absorbed the lessons of the struggle in this book like a sponge. Key amongst them were that to beat management, you don't get phased by a setback. And boy, like, is that a lesson that we need, you know, like right now? You regroup, you strategize, and you move on to the next stage of the struggle. You have to know which side of the class line you're on. You need to know who else is there with you, who will be the most tenacious fighters, and how to build a collective fight back. When a year later, after joining the party, I faced discrimination on the job as a teacher and was moved to a desk job because of my LGBTIQ liberation activism, I knew that while using legal mechanisms was a really useful tactic, that this was something that would not deliver on its own. It was crucial to look to the ranks of my union, to organise a defence committee and to build a massive public campaign and to dig in um, for the, the long haul. And um, 
and that did like result in a win following those tactics. Took three years, not seven and a half like Clara Fraser, but it resulted in a win. While I've known the broad outline of this struggle for many years, when I got my advanced copy of High Voltage Women ahead of this launch, like I have to tell you, like I, I, I really couldn't put it down. Like I was just turning um, the pages because unlike so many books that sound really interesting and when you grab them, they're kind of an academic tome, um, this book, like, is a really gripping yarn. It is a gripping yarn from the trenches, a gripping yarn of the struggle. Kelly, thank you for getting up extra early to be with us this morning. Now, let's talk about this gripping story of this multiracial group of women who put their bodies on the line to gain a foothold in the male and largely white electrical trades at Seattle's public owned utility, and this was in the 1970s. Seattle as a city was under the gun in the early 70s because uh, of its own racism, in particular sexism was charged later, but they were under federal court mandates to start stepping up affirmative action programs in order to get federal funding for uh, infrastructure. City Light, which is a publicly owned utility, hired its activists. Clara Fraser thinking that she would kind of go in her corner and come up with something fairly innocuous as a program to bring women into the trades, the electrical trade. And anyone who knew Clara Fraser knew she was not going to stay in the corner, and she didn't. So she designed this program facing from uh, ever-mounting opposition. The more she stepped up, the more the uh, administrators of the utility uh, were sorry they had hired her and started to look at ways to fire her. Um, and then, but she did create this program for 10 women to break into the electrical trades at this publicly owned utility. From this, when this program was initiated, over 300 women, and this is in the early 70s, applied for the opportunity to be in this program. It's line workers. These are the people who work with high voltage lines, go up the power poles, and deal with whatever is mounted on on the equipment. And this was the first opening for women uh, to try this program. So 300 women applied, 10 women were chosen, and it was a mixed group uh, in every way. It was uh, mixed racially in terms of there was one Asian woman, two black women, one Chicana. It was mixed in terms of gender identification, uh, gay and straight. It was mixed in terms of economic class in the sense of all the women were poor at the time, but some had more education and opportunities than others. Uh, the program fell apart almost before it started in terms of what it had promised. So these women were put out uh, to begin work before they'd gotten their first paycheck. So they didn't even have money, uh, some of them, to buy the work clothes that were required for the job. The administration, as I said, um, all white, uh, all male uh, at the top level did not see this coming. They had thought they would be able to kind of uh, uh, placate liberal Seattle with the program, not with the actual women. They hadn't really thought what it was going to be like when they actually had women on the work site. Clara Fraser, uh, they were after her from the beginning, as I said, if she designed the program, and then as she tried to carry it out. And it was insidious administrative kind of harassment for her, which is why she added the political harassment. They 
she was a known activist, but that didn't stop them um, from pursuing her. And so they, they charged her with things she hadn't done in terms of her actual work. Um, they took her off the program as soon as the women came on and were actually in the field. They transferred her off the program so that they had no the, the trainees had no administrative support. And so she, Clara Fraser, was a member of the Radical Women, uh, and so were three of the women who were chosen to be in the trainees. So they led the political charge on challenging the city and the city-owned utility. Um, both in court and on the work site. And I have to say that the 10 women were not in total solidarity in the sense of they were not all political activists. They were activists in the sense that they wanted the same kind of pay and the same kind of treatment on the work site as the men who had the jobs. Heidi Durham was the youngest of the 10 women that came in on this program. She was 21 when she came on. Uh, she was a member of the Radical Women and the Freedom Socialist Party at that time. She came on ready to work. Uh, she faced, they all faced uh, quite a bit of discrimination as they were being trained. Heidi continued on and got herself into the, after much legal maneuvering, was finally allowed to move into training as an apprentice for a line worker. This is the pole work and the high voltage. Uh, on the job, she was harassed. She was given uh, work reports and evaluations by her, by one job site leader in particular that were untrue and put greater pressure on her. So on a particular day, she was told to climb these poles up and down with the spikes on her feet um, and keep up with two guys in a bucket truck, which is a lift truck with a bucket. So she was supposed to be running up and down these poles as fast as these two experienced guys in a bucket truck. So she kept up, she was doing it, she went went up, she was coming down, She one of her hooks, one of the spikes, it had not in the wood, it did not bite in, the other one was not fully engaged, and she fell some 30 to 40 feet and broke her back, a uh, life-threatening injury. Um, this is at age 22. So uh, she eventually managed to get herself back, but in the interim, the, in addition to this fall that I think was based on harassment, one of her co-workers, uh, Megan Cornish, was out on a crew. They heard on their truck radio that there was something that had gone on. Someone had been hurt. They went and called in to find out who it was. They found out it was Heidi, and a co-worker of Megan's turned to her and said, Oh, too bad. Your friend fall down go boom boom. You're on Stick Together. Workers' stories, union news, and social justice issues. We are at the Australian book launch of Ellie Brew's High Voltage Women, published by Red Letter Press and held at the ETU offices in Melbourne by Electrical Trade Union's Women's Committee and Radical Women in 2019. At the launch, we had the opportunity to chat with some of the female electricians who were celebrating the victory of the fighting women of Seattle about their work experiences. Um, I'm an apprentice linesman for John Holland. Oh, great. So how long ago did you start this job? Um, in October last year. Yeah. And how did this come about? Um, I was registered with a group called Fitted for Work and they knew that I wanted to be a linesman and I'd been with them for over a year. They sent me an email and said, hey, we've got a linesman job going with John Holland. They're picking up female apprentices. So, so why did you, were you so specific about what you wanted to be? How did you know you wanted to be a linesman, lineswoman? Well, I was a dental nurse and then I became a traffic controller for about a year or so, too. I worked on the rail 
doing traffic and I just loved what the linesmen were doing and I wanted to do that. All right, so it was a matter of actually seeing what jobs were available on sites because you didn't know until you were there. That's right, yeah. 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 And so uh, what's so attractive about doing this type of work? I love being outdoors. I worked with steel anyway because I did a bit of welding and I do a bit of woodwork at home as a hobby. Um, I just love being outdoors in the rain, the sunshine, the hail. (laughs) So it's just a job for me. I just love being outside. And so have you felt that it was an unusual job for a woman to be doing? Have you had any problems with that? No, I haven't had any problems with any of the guys. Um, I think we might be the first four to do overheads in Victoria. Um, so it's, it's quite promising, really, for women, isn't it? Yeah, so, so it's a scheme with John Holland and the Victorian government, isn't it? No idea if there is a scheme with the government and John Holland, but I know that they um, used Fitted for Work as a middleman to hire us, so... Yeah. You're happy. I'm happy. I don't care who it's through and what they're doing, what political, <laughs> what political correctness they're using or whatever. I'm just happy to be in the industry. You were saying that uh, in the job that you're in at the moment, uh, it's an unusual job because as an electrician and a female electrician, this is the first time you've been not the token electrician, female. Yeah, or one of two amongst over 100. Yeah, there's about 30 of us out of about 140. Yeah. And how how's this come about? Oh, look, I don't know the reason. If I was to guess, I would say possibly government incentives to employ more diversely, more women. There's also a lot of... Uh, I've never worked with this many Indigenous Australians before and also a lot of people from other nationalities as well. So it's a very diverse workplace. How many people are working on the site? About, about 140, 150, something like that. Cool, OK. So it, it must make it relatively pleasant to have a, um, a more equal arrangement. It is, it is. It's great. The people there are really, really good. But despite all that diversity, most of management, team leaders and anyone in a position up the ladder is a white man. There are a few that aren't, but generally most of them are. How did you get into become an electrician? Um, I kind of did it spontaneously. I didn't put that much thought into it, really. I had the opportunity through a government project to look for a job. I, I didn't really think it through. It wasn't something I wanted to do for a long time. They set Did me you up. always want to be a tradie? No, I didn't know what I wanted to be. I just knew I didn't want to go to university. <laughs> I was sick of school, yeah. But it, I liked it. The first day when I went there and I was the only woman on a site full of all these men, I thought, oh gosh, this time I've gone too far. But I ended up, once I got over that fear, I really quite enjoyed it. What is it about it that you like? I think when I was young, I kind of liked maybe the attention of being the only woman and it being such a unique thing for a woman to do, whereas if I was a guy it would have been a pretty run-of-the-mill job. So it was something different was something non-traditional that we were doing and I liked that I was breaking the mould a bit. I didn't want to just do something that most women did. Yeah, so that appealed to me. But now, your professional skills? Uh, yeah, well now I've been doing it for 23 years. So when I first started and I would have like feminist women approach me and I used to think they were trying to ride on my coattails when they say what you're doing is really great and I'd be like, yes, but if it wasn't for a man... 
I wouldn't know what I know. Everything taught to me has been taught to me by a man. Being young and naive, not realising if it wasn't for the whole feminist movement, I never would have been able to become an electrician in the first place. So now I'm very actively trying to support other women and get more women into the industry. And uh, I often see some of these women coming and go, that was, that was me 20 years ago. And um, I hear women saying, I don't have a problem with the guys. I, I don't have this problem when other people call out stuff. And I'm like, yeah, wait, wait till you've been doing it for 15, 20 years. That stuff's going to wear thin on you, the stuff that you're turning a blind eye to now. Yeah. They're still being called out to. Seems a bit odd, considering there are plenty of people who do good job in, in your role that are yeah. female. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still, it's still a long way to go. I still really, really struggle to get work, um, and I see people far less experienced than me going further than me quite easily still. And uh, and that's social uh, impressions. That's what's causing it. You think? Will we give such a responsible task to a woman? Yeah, possibly that. What, what is it called? Unconscious bias. So, um, yeah, people wanting to employ people like them, but even. I used to work in England as maintenance once and we had light out in a building and my boss actually said to me, should we get in an electrician? Because it was more than just replacing a light bulb. And I said, I am an electrician. And she was a female. I think for her at the time, she couldn't imagine herself being able to fix it. So she thought, we need to get in a man to fix it. So how did you get into being an electrician? Um, It was kind of a process of elimination for me. I was working in independent theatre, doing stage management and lighting and sound and stuff, but it wasn't really paying the bills and it wasn't um, anything uh, stable. Like, the show would finish and then you'd be looking for another show. But you found yourself, you had technical aptitude and you actually enjoyed it. Yeah, even though I didn't have direct electrical experience, I had transferable skills. Um, And so I was looking at doing an apprenticeship because I didn't have the money to just study full-time. And I was kind of tossing up between being a chef and being an electrician because I like to cook. But, yeah. How how did you get the apprenticeship? Um, I did the NECA test where you do like an aptitude test and then uh, different employers will see your score and they'll send you out a letter asking you to apply for a position. How long was the apprenticeship? Uh, it's a four-year apprenticeship. Okay. And did you do that with the same people? Uh, yeah, I was with a group training organisation, though, so it's like a kind of an agency for apprentices, so instead of having a direct employer, they would send you out to different companies. Were you with an um, older, more experienced person? Yeah, as an apprentice, you're generally put with someone else especially when you're a first year you're always with someone else but then when you get more experienced you get uh, set free a little bit more and get more responsibility. How long have you been doing it now? Um, I started my apprenticeship in 2013 um, and I'm actually not currently working as an electrician I'm working as a quality control officer. So how did that come about? I just got asked to do it. I was uh, employed working on the new train build in Melbourne um, and after about six months there I think, because it's a new project they were looking to expand and have more people that they saw potential in I guess on the floor move into different roles. Yeah, I think they just saw me complaining about things and being like oh that looks terrible and that's no good and so I think for once my complaints uh, sent me in a good path. <laughs> and so do you have a lot of female compatriots at your work? 
Uh, it's actually a really inclusive group. I've never worked with that many women on a job site before. Um, so they definitely make an effort to hire women onto the shop floor. As for like management and stuff, there's not very many women there. So on the shop floor, the increase in female uh, technical staff, uh, are you hoping that that uh, the new technical staff working together in, no, in a more normalised gender equal relationship will improve work in general for you? Uh, yeah, definitely. It can be really isolating starting an apprenticeship in a male-dominated trade. Like A lot of the time I would be the only woman on site and even if you're normally comfortable hanging out with men in your social life, it can be a different thing completely to walk into a room and be the only woman in 100 or 500 men kind of thing. So I see all you women here who are electricians bonding effectively. It's good to have a core group. Yeah, definitely. Uh, We were kind of more dispersed when we uh, all started, but after a couple of years of trying, we finally organised a regular women's meet-up and a women's committee as well on the ETU, and so now we're a lot more connected, even though we don't directly work with each other, we all kind of know each other a bit more now. And do you find that you are actually fighting for particular issues within the union? Because in our society, generally speaking, people expect that women will look after the children. It's not to say that everybody here is going to have children, but it is a common thing for people to have family, etc., etc. If you're a skilled technical person, it should be fair that you can play your trade. So that would mean that over time that will become an issue, a union issue. Yeah, definitely. The lack of maternity kind of priorities in our union's vision and... And paternity, like as in sharing load. Yeah, yeah, for sure. My husband is really good and he does most of the cooking and cleaning really because I'm the one who works full-time and he works part-time but also is kind of the little homemaker, so that's... And that suits you. Yeah, 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 definitely. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, but that's interesting, isn't it? Because you've made your own personal arrangement and maybe that's the future in our society. I think, yeah, everybody, uh, gender roles can be kind of cut off everybody. So, you know, some men don't want to be big career men and they don't want to be leading the household. They just want to love their partner and provide for her in their own way. Thanks very much. So how long have you been an electrician? So, so, so if, I, if you t- ask me how long I've been in the industry, probably like five and a half years, yeah. Okay, and why did you become an electrician? Um, just because I wanted to. You actually wanted to? Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. Tell me about that. Um, I just really wanted to get into a trade, and I thought that was a good trade to get into. I did a pre-apprenticeship, I loved it, and then I pursued it. And is that because your family are tradies, or is it because you just t- took it upon yourself? Uh, no, no, my family are not tradies and they were highly discouraging of the choice. Yeah, And they were highly discouraging when I was young and then when I decided to try it again when I was older, they were very discouraging. But now they're supportive. So was your favourite show Bob the Builder? Uh, no, <laughs> I'm too old for that. <laughs>
and you don't falter. And if so, then I got you. Fake it, walk taller. Anything that makes you feel smaller. Leave them by the angels of the water. Push them up, push them up. Put away your cares. Fold them, fold them. Fold up your fears. Push them up, push them up. Put away your cares. Fold them, fold them. Fold up your fears. Say, come to this river. Give me your arms. Lean back. There's nothing to be alarmed of. He said, the more I know, the more I dig. And the more I return to myself. Around every bend, push 'em up, push 'em up. Put away your cares. Fold them, fold them. Fold up your fears. Push 'em up, push 'em up. Put away. Fold up your feet.